Well, I, I don't know about you, but I'm excited this morning because this morning is Baptism Sunday. Now, if you just showed up, now if you just showed up and you're like, what, what's going on? Well, basically, this morning we are celebrating with a bunch of people who have decided to go public with their faith. They've decided to say and declare publicly, I believe in Jesus. And I I couldn't be more excited to celebrate with them. We're going to do baptisms at the end of the service. And I just want to say, if there's anyone here who has not signed up for baptism, but at any point in the message, you start to feel like God tugging on your heart, like, no, this is something I'm calling you to. I just want to let you know, we've got clothing, a change of clothes ready. We've got towels ready for you. So, so if you want to get baptized this morning and you didn't bring a change of clothes, you didn't bring a towel, you don't feel ready, but you just feel in your heart that that's what God's calling you to do, know that we are inviting you to do that. I'm also excited this morning because this is my first time preaching in a little while, um, Last time I was supposed to preach, I uh, tested positive for COVID about two days before. And so I was like, okay, Dan, how do you feel about preaching a message in two days? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I got it. So, so it's been a while since I preached, and I'm, and I'm really excited because God gave me a message for some people in this room who are feeling unlovable. And I want to start us off this morning uh, with a story out of Mark 5. Mark 5, verse 25, it says, now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. I'm just going to pause there for a second. We'll get to the rest of it in a moment, but I'm just going to pause there. Because I don't know about you, but when I read this story, I see a woman who's been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. That means she's been bleeding for 12 years. I'm really curious. And so I'm wondering, immediately my mind goes, well, where's the blood coming from? Like, we know she's in a medical crisis, but what exactly is going on? And Mark doesn't really give us a clear picture of what's going on. Um, The Greek word just literally means hemorrhages. But if you look at Matthew 9, Matthew 9 tells this exact same story. And in Matthew, he uses the Greek word, um, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, hemorrheo, which refers to non-stop bleeding caused by her period. So 12 years... This woman has been bleeding. She's just had a non-stop period. Now, I've been married for about three years now, and I have never experienced a period myself, thank God. Um, But I've seen my wife deal with them, and the once a month is enough for me. I love you, dear. Um, But I can't imagine 12 years, 12 years, and it says she had endured much under many physicians and spent all she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched the fringe of his cloak, for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. But then immediately, aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes. Leviticus 15, 25, it says, any woman who has a flow of blood outside of her regular monthly period is unclean until it stops. Now, a bit of explanation here. This is talking, this is the Levitical law, the Old Testament law, and specifically, this is a purity law dealing with hygiene, preventing like the spread of diseases and whatnot. Um, And so Leviticus 15, any woman who has a flow of blood outside of her period is unclean just as she is during her monthly period. Anything she rests on or sits on during this time is also unclean. And if you touch her, 
You must take a bath, but you will remain unclean until evening. Mark 5, she came up behind him, touched his cloak, and was made well. And Jesus turns around and says, who touched me? I want to preach to you all this morning on the topic of disqualified from love. Disqualified from love. Father God, I just, Lord, as we go into this message, Lord, I just pray that you will be speaking to each and every one of us, Lord. That anyone here who is feeling unloved or feeling unlovable or struggling with that, God, I just pray that this message will speak to their hearts, God. That none of us will leave this room unchanged, but we will all be transformed by your word, Lord. Give me the words to speak and to say that will reach your people. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Disqualified from love. You know, I think the feeling of being disqualified from love is something that is probably universally felt at one point or another in all of our lives. And I think it's unfortunately a side effect of the culture we live in, one where we're all struggling with different insecurities, and on top of it, whenever we make mistakes, we've been ingrained since birth kind of with this mentality of you make a mistake, you get in trouble, right? Um, You hit a car, you pay for the damages, and if you're thinking, well, my insurance pays. No, 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 you actually pay. Like, you might think your insurance is paying the difference, but really, they're going to hike up your rates for the next 10 years so that you pay it back. You hit a car, you pay for the damage. You hurt someone, you go to jail, you get punished. You take a cookie from the cookie jar, you get grounded. That's for any kids in the room. Um, But it's just this mentality of bad deeds equals punishment. And then when it comes to insecurities, we've all kind of, we've all gone to school, right? Everyone's been in school, around people in school, yeah? Anyone felt insecure when around people in school? Yeah, a few people, all right, okay. Um, It's insecurities that just ground us and make us feel small. Because, you know, the pretty girls get all the likes, you know, the popular kids have all the friends. You, you, you want to get ahead in life, you need to be popular, you need to be liked, you need to be famous. You, you, it's these insecurities that, that, that tell us that if we want to be accepted, we have to be perfect. And so when we feel insecure or when we mess up, we fall into that punishment mindset, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough, and we, we start to feel disqualified from love, or, or to put it another way, we feel undeserving of love or unlovable. And it's this crazy psychological uh, experience that some people struggle their whole lives with, um, and, and it's usually rooted in one of two things, either shame or trauma. Trauma because someone told you or treated you in a way that made you feel that you don't deserve love. Or someone who who should have loved you, neglected you, or didn't treat you with that love that you deserve. And shame because, well, you feel too ugly, too stupid, too damaged to be loved. You feel that if anyone truly knew your deepest, darkest secrets, that that you would be excluded and they they wouldn't be able to love you. You feel because of all you've done that there must be something wrong with you that means you can't be loved. And it can be really a simple as a thought, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, um, my wife and I, we've been married a little over three years now. And really the experience of marriage has taught me one big thing about love. It's that everything I thought I knew about love before marriage was all wrong. 
No idea what it's talking about. It was just a mere little glimpse or image of, of what love actually is and how you can experience love in marriage. And then it's also taught me that love can be difficult. Anyone agree? Love is difficult? Yeah? Okay, a few people. Mostly people whose spouses are at home right now, I'm sure. <laughs> but, but a couple weeks ago, I, I had an experience that, that put this all in perspective. And you know, my wife and I, we love to give one another back massages. We, her parents got us, like, this power massager that, that we love to use. Um, and we give each other back massages. We, like, trade off. She, does 20, she gets 20-minute massage. I get 20-minute massage. It's, it's just, it's one of our love languages, actually. Is, that's what we joke, at least, is that we love back massages so much. It's a love language for us. Um, to the extent that if one of us gives the other a back massage without requiring payment in return, we just feel so, so loved. And, and so, two weeks ago, we were both getting ready for bed, and I'd already crawled into bed, and I was cozy, I was happy, I was, I was great, and my wife still had another 20 minutes to do to get ready for bed, and she pops into the room, and she's like, hey, you want to do massages? I'm like, sure, let's do it. And she's like, okay, well, one thing, the, the massager is, it's downstairs, I'm cozy, comfy, in bed. She's still getting ready for bed. I'm like, okay, cool. Are you going to get it? No, 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 I'm, I'm getting ready for bed. Can, can you get it? And I was like, oh, oh. And on a deeper level, she had just been watching a really, like, traumatic Netflix show, and so she really didn't want to go downstairs into the dark and all on her own. But, but that's beside the point. And, and I was cozy in bed, and she was like, can you get the massager? I'm like, fine. Ten minutes go by. Did you get the massager? Not yet. Fifteen minutes. Get the massager? Not yet. Twenty minutes. I'm ready for bed. Did you get the massager? Oh, do I have to? And she's like, can you, can you please just go get it? And so I was like, oh, fine. And so I threw the sheets back, a little frustrated, stomped my way down the stairs, grabbed the massager, stomped my way back up, and threw it onto the bed, and then crawled into bed and pulled the sheets up angrily. And my wife was smart. She called me on it right away, but, but right away, I just got hit by this thought of why does my wife put up with me? <laughs> I'm like, I don't deserve the love she's showing me, and she doesn't deserve the treatment that, I, that I'm giving her. And, and for a moment, it made me feel ashamed, because if I truly loved her, then I wouldn't treat her that way. And if I love her and I treat her that way, well, I must be a real jerk. Um, <laughs> but, and that, that thought went away pretty quick, but the reality is that this is just a silly story that illustrates the reality that many of us live in. It's reality because of something we've done or, or something someone has done to us or something someone has said to us, this reality of because you cheated on your significant other, you don't feel like be, uh, worthy of being loved again. Because your parents didn't show you affection as a kid, you, you feel like you can't receive affection the way you, you should because you stepped on the scale this morning and you were expecting it to say one thing, but it was several numbers higher than you expected. Well, I'm too ugly to be loved. I can't be accepted. I can't be loved because, because I'm different than what I want. It's this anxiety, this, this shame that, that we see all the way back in, in Genesis 3. God creates the world, and, and he creates this garden, he creates the animals, and then he puts Adam, and he puts Eve in the garden. 
and he gives them authority over all of creation, and he gives them one rule. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the point of which is to give them a choice, because if you don't have a choice, is it really free will? And so they go, and Eve goes, and she, she's tempted into eating from the tree, and, and notably, it's interesting, because I, I've always just judged Eve, but the serpent who tempts her to eat from the tree, he says, don't you want to be like God? So in her pursuit of trying to be more like God, of trying to be more godly, she's tempted into sin. And then Adam eats from the tree, and immediately they realize that they are naked and they are ashamed. And then the reaction, what happens next is God is walking through the garden, and they hide. It's shame. They felt unlovable. They felt disqualified from love because how can a good God accept a broken me? Disqualified from love, it's when we feel for whatever reason that we're not deserving. We're not deserving of love. You know, going back to the story we find in Mark 5, I I find this story fascinating because it really doesn't tell us all that much about the lady. Right? It doesn't tell us her name. Can we throw it up on the screen, Mark 5? Um, it doesn't tell us her name. It doesn't tell us her age. Like, we don't know. Maybe she's 24, and since her first period, she's just been bleeding continually. We, we don't know much about this, this lady, but it really paints a picture of the situation that she finds herself in. See, first of all, we see that this woman is in a medical crisis. For 12 years she has been bleeding. I can't imagine bleeding for 12 years, like how weak you must feel after 12 years of bleeding. So she's in a medical situation, and on top of it, she's having financial problems because she's spent all she has on health care. They didn't have universal health care. She was paying doctors out of pocket to try and get healed, and none of them could do anything for her. So she's in a medical crisis, and she's out of money. But, but the third thing we notice is she hears of Jesus... She hears the testimonies of what he's done. Just a couple chapters earlier, he healed a man with a withered hand in the synagogue on a Sabbath, which is a big, big no-no for the religious leaders at the time. You weren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, so how dare Jesus heal a person? She heard testimony of, even earlier, these friends carrying their paraplegic friend on a stretcher and digging through a roof and lowering him down to Jesus and Jesus healing him. Heard stories of how a leper came to Jesus, someone who was unclean because they had a very infectious disease, came to Jesus and asked for healing, and Jesus stretched out his hand and healed him in a moment. And she thinks, if only I can touch him, if only I can get to Jesus, then I will be healed. You know, I have to wonder how many of us, in going through life, have we been in a situation where we've been so desperate that we finally turned to Jesus? You know, I, I, I don't know about you, maybe you're holier than me, but, but I've found so many moments in my life where a problem comes up and my first reaction is to try and solve it myself. First reaction is trying to, to try and fix the issue myself, but 
And it's only once I've gone through all of the process and gone through all of the problems and, and finally realized I can't do this on myself that I turn to God. But in this moment, this woman, she couldn't find healing on her own. She had to go to Jesus. And you know, in this story, I think it's easy for us from our 21st century perspective as well to, to look at this story and be like, well, of course she's going to Jesus. Of course. She has no options. She has no money. She has, there's, there's literally nothing else she can do. She's tried everything, and she knows Jesus can heal people. So, of course, she's going to Jesus. But the reality is we don't understand the danger this woman was putting herself in. Herself in. It's Leviticus 15. It says, Any woman who has a flow of blood outside her regular monthly period is unclean until it stops. Anything she rests on or sits on during this time is also unclean. Seven days after the woman gets well, she will be considered clean. On the eighth day, she must bring either two doves or two pigeons in front of my sacred tent and give them to the priest. He will offer one of these birds as a sacrifice for sin. This tells me that they thought the problem the woman was having was because she had sinned. She'd done something wrong and she was being punished. And the other as a sacrifice to please me, then I will consider the woman completely clean. When any of you are unclean, you must stay away from the rest of the community of Israel. So let's recap here for a second. Woman's having an issue where she's bleeding. Her period won't stop. And as a Hebrew woman, as a member of the people of Israel, as someone who is following the Levitical law, that means that under the law, she is unclean. She's not accepted in society. She's shunned. She's avoided. So when other women would have guys show up at their door and ask them out on dates, nobody showed up at her door. Other women would have people showing up and like, I'll, I'll offer six goats for your daughter. And the parent would, yeah, sure, go, go ahead. You can have my daughter. And, 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 and these other women would get married and they would have kids and no one would come to her because if you touch her, you're unclean. When the women at the day would gather in the morning to gossip and talk and prepare the food for the day, well, she wasn't invited. They didn't want her around. If she made food, well, that food's unclean. We can't eat that, so we don't want you near us. When there were festivals and parties, not only was she not invited, but she would be kicked out if she showed up. And in, in, in this, this separation from society was, it was so deep that she was supposed to be hidden away, kept away from other people who were clean. And if she went around people who were clean, she had to shout, Unclean! Unclean! So that they knew to avoid her. You know, this isn't like you test positive for COVID, you need to isolate for 10 days. No, this, this woman, she's in a situation where for 12 years, she's been isolated from others. And the deal is until, until the bleeding stops and seven days have passed without the bleeding returning and she has offered a sacrifice for, for her sin, only then would she be clean and accepted in society. She was not welcome in society. 
You know, I think sometimes we can feel disqualified from love because we make a mistake. We do something bad. We hurt someone. It's something we can control. But this, this woman, she is disqualified from love because of something she can't control. She was unclean. She was unclean. She was disregarded. She was avoided. She was isolated. She was not allowed to be around other people, and she was unclean. And I can't imagine the shame she must have felt. Twelve years of being avoided and of being shunned because of this condition that had disqualified her, something she couldn't control. She was disqualified from love. And, and then she thinks, she hears these stories of Jesus, and she thinks, if only I can but touch his clothes, then I will be healed. Like, think of the shame she must have felt in this moment. She's not even willing to show her face to Jesus. And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why she didn't want to show her face, why she chose this approach of sneaking up behind him in the crowd and just touching his clothing. But I can imagine it was that she was worried about Jesus' reaction if she did show her face. That she was worried that if she came to Jesus and said, Jesus, please heal me, he would look at her with disgust like everyone else and just say, get away from me. But, you know, the beauty of Jesus is that's not how he reacts. I think this is honestly sometimes how we approach God, though. How many of us, we approach God with our, our head bowed, hiding in the crowd, hoping that he will just accidentally bless us. Like, don't look at me, Jesus. I've made too many mistakes. But please bless me. Like, just see if you have a little extra. We, we choose to try and hide because of what we've, we've done. But the beauty of Jesus is it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you've hurt others or how you've been hurt by others. It doesn't matter what number's on the scale. It doesn't matter how many times you've been rejected or mistreated by other people. It doesn't matter if you're addicted to pornography or drugs or any other thing that we can be addicted to and you're struggling and trying to be free. It doesn't, it, none of that matters. Because you see, Romans 5 tells us, while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will one die for a righteous person, though for a good person one might dare to die. But God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still broken, while we were still messed up, Christ died for us. John 3, 16, 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall never perish, but shall have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. You know, it doesn't matter how broken or ashamed or disqualified you might feel. Christ still loves you. Mark 5, it says she touched his cloak and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease and immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Now, if you remember, Leviticus 15, 
under the Levitical law that this woman would have had to follow, this lady touching Jesus was a big no-no. It's a big problem. Because anything she touches becomes unclean. So her sneaking up behind Jesus and touching him, that made him unclean under the law. And that was wrong. That was a huge violation of the law. That was a big deal because she was now taking her issue and causing problems for other people. So she goes and she, she touches his clothes and immediately Jesus senses that power is gone from him. And he turns around and he says, who touched my clothing? And this woman, she would have known in this instant, if I go forward, I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be judged because the law says I shouldn't do this. The law says what I did is wrong. If I go forward, I'm going to be judged. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be hurt. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be in so much trouble. And Jesus is like, who touched my clothes? And I love the, his, uh, the answer his disciples give him. It says, and his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in around you? How can you say who touched me? It's like, Jesus, come on. There's thousands of people here. We're in West Ed on Christmas Eve. Of course somebody's touching you. But the woman, or but he looked around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. You can imagine, she touched his clothing. She's been healed. She knows she deserves punishment under the law. And she's been caught in the act, and so she comes to Jesus, and she just, she just falls on her knees, and she's like, Jesus, it was me. It was me. I touched you. I'm sorry, because I did the wrong thing. I wasn't supposed to touch you. I was unclean. Jesus, for 12 years, I had been bleeding. I was unclean. And, and I just thought if I could touch you that you wouldn't even notice. And, and, and then I would be healed. Jesus, just, just smite me. I, I deserve punishment. Just thinking like us, we, we all have made mistakes. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. And Romans 6 tells us that the punishment for sin is death. But from this position of humiliation, of begging for forgiveness, Jesus' response is very telling. Next verse, he says, he said to her, daughter, daughter, daughter. What a profound moment. What a profound moment. She is where, or she, she deserves death, or she deserves punishment under the law for what she's done. And she's messed up. She deserves to be judged. But Jesus says to her, daughter, under the law, she was broken. She was lost. She deserved judgment, but under grace, she was a daughter. See, Romans 3 tells us, since all have sinned and fallen short of the grace of God, they all are justified by his grace as a gift. Now, that's a great verse if you know what justification means. 
essentially what it's telling us is that we have all messed up, we've all sinned, and under the law, it's a legal term, under the law we are all deserving of death, but we have been justified. That means we have been made right in the eyes of the law. We have been justified by his grace as a gift. Romans 6, for the penalty of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The woman, she deserves punishment. She deserves to have the book thrown at her. She deserves judgment, but Jesus calls her daughter. You know, it's so profound because you don't call a stranger on the street daughter. You don't call someone you hate daughter. You don't call someone who you want thrown in jail daughter. Daughter is an indication of family, indication of familiarity. And in this moment, it's an invitation for this woman to join the family of God. See, the reality is it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're ashamed of. It doesn't matter what skeletons you have hidden in your closet. It doesn't matter how others have hurt you or rejected you. It doesn't matter how you've hurt them and rejected them. It, it doesn't matter what you're ashamed of. It doesn't matter if you're not perfect. It doesn't matter if you, like Adam and Eve, want, want to hide because you feel so disqualified and you feel so unlovable. God is not judging you. He's not judging you. He's not disqualifying you. He's calling out to you saying, Daughter, son, my beloved child. In John 5, the Pharisees, they're challenging Jesus because he'd healed a man on the, on the Sabbath, gone into this, this hospital of the day, the pool of Bethsaida, and he'd healed this man who'd been ill for 38 years, and, and they're upset at him because he dared to do this on the Sabbath, and he says to them, well, my father's working, so of course I'm still working, and then they're like, well, we're going to kill you now. And to justify himself, he says, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. And he says this very telling verse, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Jesus has the authority to judge. Mark 5, Jesus has the authority to judge. What does he do? Daughter. It goes on, John 5, Very truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. See, in Christ, there's no judgment while we're alive. In Christ, there's no disqualification from love. There's only an outpouring of love, this outpouring of grace that he has for all of us, this love that we do not deserve. And Jesus is just saying, all you have to do to receive my love is just accept it. Receive the love, receive the grace I have for you. Despite all your flaws, despite all your issues, despite everything you're ashamed of, just receive, come to me because I want to know you. So if I can get everyone to stand right now. 
going to do a couple things here as we close. First off, if I can get everyone to stand and just put your hands out like this and close your eyes. This is a position of receiving. The first thing I want to do is, is to pray for all of us, for anyone who feels disqualified, for anyone who feels unlovable. And we'll be able to receive the outpouring God has for us. Father God, I just pray. Lord, you know the things we are ashamed of right now. You know the things we need healing from, the things that we're hiding, the things that we feel make us disqualified from love. And God, I just thank you that no matter what we've done, you still love us. So God, in each and every one of our hearts, anything that we're holding onto, any shame that we're holding close to our heart, God, I just pray that you will rip that out. Pour out your love upon us, God, that we will see you the way you were meant to be seen, God, that we will see your love and your grace for us no matter what, Lord. Help us to realize that it doesn't matter where we are on the journey right now. This is a process that you're working in us and perfecting us and that through the process, you still love us no matter what. Amen, amen. Now with every eye still closed, every head bowed, if you're here or you're watching online and you've never had the opportunity to or you've never given your life to Jesus, you know, that is the first step to receiving the grace and love that Jesus has for you. Jesus is not an angry judge waiting to hunt you down and hurt you and condemn you. No, he, he, he wants to show you love. He wants to shower you in his love, which is why we believe that Jesus went to the cross and he stretched out his arms and he died for all of us and then he rose from the dead so that he could deal with our sin. He could deal with the punishment of, of our sin so that we could be free. And he did it because he was imagining you where you are with all of the mistakes that you all have and he did it just for you. The promise we have is that all we have to do to receive that love that he has for us is, is just to accept it. So if you hear with every eye closed, every head bowed, and you want to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and receive the love that he has for you, in a moment, we're going to pray, but, but all I want you to do is, on the count of three, if you're here, and you're saying, Darian, I want to be included in that prayer. I want to make that decision today. I want to give my life to Jesus today. I just want, I'll count to three, and I just want you to boldly lift your hand up into the air and then put it right back down. Nobody looking around. This isn't about them. This is about you. One, you're making the greatest decision of your life. Two, I'm proud of you. And even more than that, God is proud of you and God loves you. Three, if that's you, no one looking around, just shoot your hand up into the air and then put it right back down. Wherever you are in the world right now, just shoot up your hand and put it right back down. Come on. Now for the benefit of all of those who've just, who are coming to Christ this morning, we're, we're going to pray this prayer together as a family. If we can get you to repeat after me, Lord, thank you for sending Jesus just for me. I believe he lived and he died and he rose again with all power for every one of my mistakes. Today, 
I give you control of my life. Change me, renew me, transform me. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, let's give God a shout for everyone who's given their life to Jesus this morning. Come on. Come on. One last thing as we, as we close. We're so excited for anyone who's made that decision to follow Jesus. And, and we would love to partner with you and to help you in, in your journey of faith. So if that's you, I just want to encourage you to text the word BELIEVE to 587-855-5569. We'll just, uh, that just gives us an opportunity to connect with you, to pray with you, to support you in this walk. Because we don't believe that we're called to walk alone in our faith, but that, that Jesus wants, or that we're meant to be in community supporting one another. But but one last thing as we close is this is our special baptism service. And, and we are so excited to be able to celebrate with all of the incredible people who have made that decision to follow Jesus and want to publicly declare that this morning. See, baptism is a declaration of your belief in Jesus. It's a declaration of your faith in Christ. It is you taking a stand and saying, I believe in Jesus. And and Romans 6 tells us that when we are baptized, we are actually baptized into his death so that by the same power that raised him from the dead, we too may walk in newness of life. Baptism is a symbol of your old life being put aside, of your old past being put aside, and you becoming a new person in Christ. So as we go into baptism and and we're celebrating with the people who've made this decision to be baptized, I would be remiss if I didn't give an opportunity for anyone this morning who wants to get baptized to make that decision. We have a change of clothes for you. We've got towels for you. If you want to get baptized, there's no reason to wait. So right now, I just want to invite everyone who's made the decision to get baptized anyone who spontaneously wants to make that decision just to come on down to the front. If you're getting baptized, come on down to the front. There we go. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for each and every person in this room who has decided to follow you and for these six people who have made the decision to get baptized and to to declare their faith in front of all these witnesses. Lord, I just pray a blessing upon all of your people and especially upon these people who are getting baptized, Lord. Fill them with your spirit, God. Pour out your love upon them, Lord. Let their lives be changed. Pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen.